All right, welcome to episode 38. Today we're talking with England sensation Tours Anderson. Tours is flying out to the Women's World Championships in Towson, but before flying, stop by for an episode. As usual, thank you to, for the continued support from the show's Patreons. If you want to show your support for the show, get early access and extra episodes, then head over to Patreon. Be warned, we did encounter a few issues when recording this episode, and at times, there may be a bit of a delay between question and answer. Episode 38, Tours Anderson. Tours, where did you first get into lacrosse? Um, so I first started playing, or my first introduction to it was at the Queen's School in Chester. That's where I went to school. Okay. And we didn't really have the best team in the world. There was we Sometimes we struggled to even get enough people out to play. But we played it a lot in PE and games and things like that. So that's kind of where I first got into it. But then I also started playing from a very young, well, very young age, being 12, at Oxton. Um, and that's where I probably got most of my development from playing with other good players and having good coaches. So that's kind of okay. where I got into it. So club lacrosse through and through then? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, it was good. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, so where did you go from there? You played at school for a bit, then club. I'm going to guess you went to university and played there. Most people yeah. do. Yeah, so I went to Loughborough, played at Loughborough. Um, and yeah, through so kind of through that I did... Or when I was a little bit younger, I started doing the Centex program, which is which it was then, which is now the Talent Pathway. Yeah, I remember. And it. got put into the national setup from there, and that's kind of really how I got into all the England stuff. But yeah, at the same time, I was playing at Loughborough, was doing all the North stuff, um, playing at the Talent Pathway. Oh no, by then I was in the squad. But yeah, playing at England as well, and oh, just wow. kind of doing it all at the same time. Super busy whilst trying to do a degree as well. Yeah, I think the degree kind of took a back seat, to be honest, <laughs> secondary to lacrosse. Um, it's more of a challenge fitting it in with work now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, I can imagine. So have you always played at Oxton then? Mm-hmm, yeah. Oxton's been my home club. Yeah, that's kind of, they taught me a lot. We, it's really cliche, but we are like a proper little Oxton family. It's really nice. So even when I moved down south after uni, found it very hard to kind of join a new club and have the same loyalty, I guess yeah um, yeah still get drawn back to Oxton did you play whilst down here or I played a season at Putney and then a season at Hawks um right but to be honest international stuff's been so busy on the rare weekends off I've actually quite enjoyed trying to maintain a social life and a relationship <laughs> so I've kind I of taken imagine. a step back from club lacrosse this year yeah oh, especially this year the calendar this year is insane mm. um, no doubt we're going to get onto it in a little bit as well but um, it's just been everything's happening at the same time it's crazy yeah. like, yeah, like you said trying to get club lacrosse in as well as, um, yeah probably better off putting that on the back burner for a bit um, alright cool 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 so who is your favourite person in the game so I had a good think about this one there's lots of people and obviously my team every team that I've been a part of they're basically all my favourite people because I think you just make such special memories with each group of people but when I was really thinking about people that I look up to or inspire or people that inspire me in the game, I kind of kept getting drawn back to those that are now mums. So um, thinking of England players at the moment, we've got Laura Merrifield, one of our captains, new mum. Laura Warren from Wales, who's on the GB team with me. And amazing. Sally Keogh from our last England World Cup. And I just... Yeah, I, I don't know how they do it. They're superhuman and I just think they deserve the recognition because 
going through pregnancy, having a child, raising a child, full-time job, training to be an international athlete, I, I, I could never do it. I, I think kids are going to have to wait till I retire because I don't have that kind of mindset. So yeah, they're all my favourite people and I have such admiration for all of those people and, and any, any mums in the game or dads. Like It takes so much to raise a child and work and play and train at this level. So yeah, that Absolutely. shout out definitely to them. Absolutely. I've been trying to sort out an episode with Laura Warren for a while. Um, <laughs> she's just so busy. Like she's, she's so crazy, busy. crazy busy. Um, I, the, the main reason I want to I do an episode with her is like I'm a, a new parent myself. I've got two kids, both uh, one's 20 months, one's seven months. Oh, um, and I'm struggling to like just function as a human being. And then you see what they do, like the, the, the players. Mm. And it's mind blowing. It is absolutely mind blowing. I've got so many questions for them on like how they do what they do. Yeah. Um, it's insane. So yeah, that's a good one. I like that. That's cool. Um, all right. Flip it on its head. Who or what is your biggest grudge in the game? If you have one. Um, I think the biggest grudge probably has to be the lack of media attention and or funding, to be honest. Because I think the frustrations that I have with the sport are very much that I work and train or play and kind of social life and friends and all that stuff that, you know, you actually want to live for and enjoy kind of get put on the back burner, which is fine because especially this year we're training to play in a world cup and go and win a medal hopefully um but i think if we had those weekends or those evenings if we had funding or sponsorship or anything that would mean that we could go part-time or anything like that from work i think we'd obviously have more time to have a more balanced life generally not working five days training at the weekend work another five days training at the weekend yeah um so that's probably my biggest grudge and i know we're moving in the right direction and there's so much going on behind the scenes and you know, from a governance point of view and with the government and lobbying for funding and things like that. I know there's loads going on. Um, and you, I've kind, I kind of try and think about it in the mindset of we're laying down the path for the next generation. So hopefully they can reap the benefits of that um, yeah, and hopefully can be in a better position. So I can't be too down on it. Um, I knew what I was signing up for. So just kind of got to go with it now. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But like you said, someone someone has to go through it first um, yeah. for it to become a viable option. How far away do you think that is? It depends which format of the game you look at. Um, tens, I think, is a little bit different because obviously we're not going after Olympic inclusion for the traditional tennis side game. Yep. Sixes, I think, will accelerate towards that a lot quicker. Um I think just through having it in the world games and hopefully it will be included in the 2028 games. I know that's what people are kind of vying for at the moment. And I think as soon as you get that Olympic inclusion, it opens up the door for government funding, lottery funding, sporting funding, um, which, which might allow people, I don't know obviously what, what the values would be, but it would allow people that are training towards that to potentially drop down to four days a week or three days a week to allow more time to train. Um, so I, I, I think it's not too far away, to be completely honest, if we get the 2028 inclusion, but then it becomes the debate of sixes versus tens and what what do you choose to do or, you know? So yeah, um, absolutely. lacrosse is definitely making progress in the right direction, but it will be interesting to see how it pans out across the total game. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to put you on the spot here um, and ask you for your experience with the company that you, you currently work for. Do they um, acknowledge the 
um, expectations of you within a sporting capacity. Because I know I've got a few friends that played semi-pro football and their work just kind of like had an unwritten agreement with them that they didn't have to fulfill every hour. They they kind of made a a flexible contract to accommodate um, the players. They didn't necessarily, they couldn't go part-time, like you said, Mm. like there wasn't funding there for that. Um, But they were certainly given a few extra privileges um, and it was acknowledged the sporting um, achievements that they were trying to achieve. Have you come across that yourself or is it, do you just have to do your job and do your sporting um, activities at the same time? A little bit of both. Like they are really good. And I think I'm really lucky working with GSK that they have flexible working in place anyway. It's something that we kind of live and breathe as a culture, which is, I really like working for them. The culture is really great. Um, and I think especially through COVID, a lot of things have changed. So I was lucky because GSK were very flexible before, but obviously through COVID, people have had to be more flexible. So, um, yeah, they're, they're really supportive in that sense that I can literally do my meetings, go to the gym at 11 o'clock if I have a break, come yeah. back. And, you know, they're very good in that sense. You don't have to be on the laptop nine to five. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's the same. Like They're really great because that, that suits me and what I'm trying to do. But it's the same for everybody, which I think is also really great. Um that they kind of employ that policy across all employees to, to yeah. kind of maintain that work-life balance. Um, so, yeah, they're really good in that sense. They're obviously, I, I'm taking nearly a month off to go to the World Cup. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I have to take annual leave and unpaid leave, but not everybody would get the opportunity to take that much time out of work and still come back to a job. So I am very grateful for that as well. Yeah, I mean, they could say no, right? It's, yeah, they could <laughs> They do. could literally say no. But... <laughs> and then we'd all be stuck. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, You've kind of answered it in a roundabout way already, but what would you change about the game if you could? Um, I mean, yeah, funding and sponsorship is an obvious one, isn't it? But going deeper than that, I think when you look at the strategy and the tactics involved, particularly in the traditional game, because that's kind of where my head head is at at the moment, flying out to the World Cup tomorrow. I think there's a lot to be said for the shot clock that we see in sixes and in the NCAA games. Um, I think it just makes the game a little bit quicker. It means that you can't stall the ball if you're two, three goals up at the end of a game. And it makes sure that there's almost an even possession, I suppose. I think you're guaranteed more of the ball because you know it's going to be coming back down in a minute or 90 seconds, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think that's really changed the NCAA game for the better. It's really exciting to watch. And obviously, you know, it's a big momentum shift if you score right at the end of the shot clock or the defence hold them out for the whole 90 seconds. I think it, it, you know, it can really fire up the team and the momentum. So that would be something that I would like to see potentially brought into the international game. 90 seconds feels about right because it's still enough time to set up plays, work it through yeah. without just having to force a shot like you do potentially in the sixes game. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I, the women's game has developed a lot over the past few years with different rules and trial rules. Um, and I like the way it's going. I know there's always debate around how much the game is changing, but... I think anything we can do to make it more commercial, more spectator friendly, more fast paced, will get people engaged and hopefully get people more interested in the sport. So I'm I'm open to it. Yeah, I, that's a cool idea. Um, I'm actually a little bit. I mean, I know it's not, but I'm surprised it's not already in the international game. Yeah. Um, both men's and women's, if I'm honest. I also I understand how logistically it's impossible. It's not impossible. How logistically it's very hard to do in the domestic game. But I think there's a lot mm. of benefits that could come from it 
um, being used there as well. If you can kind of figure out the logistics, um, like we don't want to create issues for clubs that are trying to get players on the field. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. um, speeding up the game, it is a fast game. It's supposed to be played as a fast game. And I think if we can replicate that um, and push the tempo a little bit, like I said, at all standards, if everybody knows they've got 90 seconds to score, a lot. I think a lot of bad habits at the lower levels through to the high levels would probably disappear um, quite naturally. Yeah, but I think that's how right. you actually implement it. Don't know. That's I know. Domestically, that's, it is that's hard like... <laughs> for domestic. Maybe they have a domestic rule and an international rule. I don't know. Yeah, just do it internationally and not domestically at, at the moment. That's... <laughs> I'm with you. Okay, cool. Um, give us your two pence on something you've heard in another episode that you want to chime in on. It's not really a two pence. It's more of a recognition, I suppose. Okay. So when you asked me who my favourite person in the game was, I almost said this person, but then I thought it was a better fit for this question. Storm Trentham, I just think, is incredible. The stuff, the work she's done for lacrosse over the years through Wales as a player, as a coach, as a manager, and all that is amazing. But when you look at what she's done for Kenya, I just think she she deserves so much credit and recognition. She's literally built the whole of Kenya lacrosse from the ground up pretty much on her own. Obviously she's had loads of willing volunteers and people that have paid money to go and help her. But I think the kind of passion and desire she's had to get it off the ground in a country that is way more underdeveloped than traditionally play lacrosse, I think it's just incredible. And she's not only, she's not only enhancing lacrosse in those countries when you actually, well, as you know, cause you've spoken to her, um, when you actually speak to her about what she's doing, it's not just lacrosse, it's trying to get passports, it's people have been evicted yeah. from their housing or their housing's been um, like reclaimed by the government, um, people are getting kicked out of school or they, they literally don't have money to buy clothes or food. And I just think she, she does so much pastorally, I suppose, as well as trying to grow the game. She really, really cares about the communities that she's trying to build the game in. I just think if anyone needs to go and listen to another podcast um, episode, go and listen to the one that's where Storm talks about Kenya, because I think the work that she's doing is amazing. And if you ever get the chance to speak to her in person as well, that just the passion and energy she has for it, I think is really, really inspiring. And I totally commend her for doing what she's doing. She actually sent me a message the other day um, saying like, good luck for Taos and everything. And she was off for six weeks with her, another one with a baby, off with her baby to Kenya to help go and do more amazing things for Kenya lacrosse. So yeah, that I just wanted to take the moment to say that because I really enjoyed that episode and just listening to the stories that Storm has from all the work that she's done in Kenya. I, it's just incredible. And I think people should listen to that and really help and support where they come. Absolutely. I think it was Mike Bartlett who said... Um storm by name storm by nature and he <laughs> was so right like when storm talks about kenya lacrosse and the stuff that she's up to and the projects that she's working with it's like it's there's some weird addiction to it like the way she talks and the passion that she has um when she's talking about it you can just how you can tell how much time and effort um she's putting into it and it, yeah it's it's great to say i absolutely loved talking to Storm. i can't remember whether I've said it on another podcast or I just said it in passing to someone, that episode absolutely shocked me because 
we I do these lacrosse episodes and it's all about lacrosse and it's you know yeah. like I think Storm kind of said like oh what stick have I got oh what shoes have I got she's like I couldn't care about any of that yeah. like it's five percent lacrosse ninety five percent about getting these these players um, to an event or to get them an opportunity um, and I, I saw it as just a massive eye opener it was an eye opener for me and I really hope it was for other people as well but yeah she is sensational she to say is. the least she really is. Um, okay, who do you want the listeners to go and follow on social media? Storm, Kenya Lacrosse. Storm. <laughs> um. No, ser- seriously, <laughs> I think just going back to what we've just talked about, you do. Storm does open up a whole other world of lacrosse that I think, unless you do follow her and follow what she's doing with Kenya, you would never even know existed and the challenges that she's facing and those people in Kenya are facing. So I would really, really encourage people to go and follow Kenya Lacrosse and Storm on Instagram or whatever social media because, yeah, you, you, she's always asking for kind of help and support for these, for these players. And, you know, even sometimes donating an old sticker, an old pair of boots will, will give somebody the chance to pick up lacrosse for the first time and be part of a community and something that takes them outside of the, the troubles that they have in their daily life because that's genuinely what, what it is that she's doing. So, yeah. I would encourage people to go and have a look at what she's doing. All right, awesome. Okay. Um, dare I ask, because I get the same answer every time I ask um, lacrosse people, what are you up to away from lacrosse, if anything, other than work? <laughs> oh, God. Well, this year, literally nothing. Literally, <laughs> it's work and lacrosse, honestly. Um, I mean, when I, do, when I don't use all my annual leave on on lacrosse or on training camps um i like i my family got into scuba diving a few years ago so yeah that's kind of probably the the fun fact i suppose i like scuba diving got bitten by a shark that's quite a fun fact no way yeah right tell us that that sounds awesome (laughs) it's actually really not as dramatic as it sounds i got bitten on the foot by by a nurse shark which supposedly don't bite people they're supposedly puppies of the sea but there we go still don't have feeling in two of my toes um lots of blood (laughs) that's it yeah there you go bit by shark that's not supposed to bite people yeah yeah i think there's i looked on google because i was like i'm sure they're not supposed to bite people i'm a bit of a shark um fiend they're probably my favorite animal um and there's only been week oh i do i love shark week and blue planet all of that just fast forward to the shark bits i'm obsessed um but yeah i googled how many attacks by nurse sharks had ever been recorded and it was less than 50 so I was like, no cool, way. at least I'm in the minority there. Probably people <laughs> stupid enough to put their foot in the water with a shark. But there we go. <laughs> That's hilarious. And you still haven't got feeling in two of your, two of your toes? No, Did yeah, two of my, my little toe and my fourth toe, my right foot can't really feel. But, you know, it's fine. Don't really <laughs> need them. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, let's get into the bulk of the questions now. So... Um, you've been in the England setup for roughly a decade. You've represented at under-19s. Um, yeah. How have you... This is not a, a, a normal first question, but I'm going to go in with it. How have you maintained this level of play for such a long time, um, physically but also mentally? That's a very good question. I'm, I'm sure I just black out half of it most of the time mentally. <laughs> just goes on for so long. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I think obviously, like most people, I got to kind of international representation purely by love of the game. I think 
we don't do it for the obviously for the media recognition or or the money because we both know none of that exists so I think just by pure enjoyment for the game and wanting to get better and just you know I, I enjoyed it so I went and trained more and I played more and things like that so I just got better and then found myself in the under 19 setup which was great but then being the competitive person that I am and most athletes are I was like well what's next then trying to push into the senior squad um and then you kind of just you kind of get sucked in really I guess with like any team when you're part of something bigger than just you and you're all trying to strive for the same goal and achieve something together and you see the work that your teammates are putting in on and off the pitch it's very hard to walk away from um and I think that's probably what has kept me there for so long um there's kind of always something else to be working towards whether that's a european championships or home internationals or a world cup so yeah that's that's probably what's kept me going so long and it has been hard mentally at times i think the older i've got and the more responsibility i've got in terms of a career and you know a relationship and things like that you sometimes it is really hard to balance it all um but then you see your teammates and you you know do well at competitions or you play really well in the game and for moments like this we're about to fly to the world cup that's when hopefully everything becomes worth it so um yeah i'm not quite done yet i'll see how the body is after this one but (laughs) maybe we'll be here in four years time who knows (laughs) so this is a, a tough question but have you at any point um thought like maybe i want to step away or i need to step away like it's a long you've been playing for a long time at that that level that that must take its strain on you mentally and physically have you ever wanted to ever thought to yourself about stepping down or or having a break or yeah I mean I'd be lying if I said I hadn't and I think most people would be if they said they hadn't it is it is very it is very hard I was very fortunate growing up that my parents were able to support me really really heavily like financially driving me literally down the m6 every weekend for under 19 training when I couldn't drive myself paying for hotels I was really really fortunate that that they were able to support me and obviously as I've kind of got my own job and stuff I really I really understand how much they supported me because it's just so (laughs) expensive (laughs) so um yeah I mean the money is obviously one thing the time the emotional commitment it it is it is a lot and I think sometimes like any athlete, you go through peaks and troughs in terms of performance and mentally where you're at with the game. And I mean, I had a bit of a dip a few years ago um, for whatever reason. I did think I kind of lost my confidence a bit and thought, do I do I even deserve to be in the squad anymore? I wasn't really sure, but I kind of kept persisting with it. And I never, I've never really told anybody about that either. So yeah, that'd be an interesting one to explain. Um, but yeah, I just kind of kept going and the team of the team are really great some of my best friends in the world are on the team and they obviously support you through things like that so I'm really glad that I've kept going the whole way through um and I'm feeling really good ahead of ahead of the world cup so yeah I think it's just just peaks and troughs really and you've just got to go with what the body feels what the mind feels at that time and I'm sure at some point it will be time to step away but I'm not there yet cool um so you fly let's talk to Alison for a bit so you fly tomorrow um for those those of us that kind of aren't involved in in that that level of um sport and 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 the setup what happens between tomorrow and the championship start next wednesday is that right yeah that's right so you've effectively got a week before what happens during that period 
So flying out, um, it will just be kind of team time. Firstly, it'll be acclimatising to the Towson weather. So if anyone follows any of the England players on Instagram, you might have seen us all running around in hoodies and gloves and woolly hats in the middle of the British heat wave. Um, but that's because Towson's going to be probably 30 degrees plus and humidity at the moment is pretty high, I think. Oh, really? I think it was like 80, 85% the other day. So, nice. um, yeah, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of trying to acclimatise to the weather and learning not to choke on the humid air, <laughs> to be honest. But um, we'll do that. And then we're kind of moving into the accommodation on Saturday. So we'll just kind of get settled, get our bearings really for the campus, um, probably some training, We'll probably have some team meetings looking at our game plans and what we might do. Just start thinking about the other teams and what we might do in certain games. And then, yeah, Wednesday is opening ceremony. Um, And then the first game, I think, is US-Canada. So we'll probably watch that game. And then our first game is on the Thursday versus Australia. So it seems like (laughs) Mm -hmm. rematch of the bronze medal match. Yeah, from last time. Oh, my God. Okay. so what's the preparation been like for the for this championships and how's it differed to to um previous championships? Well, I think the obvious one is that we had a global pandemic in between the two World Cups. So yep. this World Championships that's about to start was actually supposed to be last summer, but it got pushed back a year because of COVID. So that's ultimately the the biggest the biggest change. So before the 2017 World Cup, we went to the European Championships, we went on tour to Australia, we went on tour to the US twice. We'd played US, Canada, Australia and multiple European teams before we had turned up to the to the World Cup to play them. This time, obviously, because of COVID, we, we haven't had that. So it's there's been positives yeah. and negatives or challenges, to be honest. So the positives have been that we, we've really come together as a squad. The core squad has been together for five years now, which is amazing we kind of roll straight on as an England program so we've got our profiling weekend and trials weekend in September already planned in so we start straight away almost again obviously it's more chilled but you're kind of with that same group of people then until the next World Cup so we've been together for five years through Covid we were still connecting as a team probably more than we do more than we would have done in any other year but a World Cup year through zooms and when we could meet up as groups of six we were we were doing that in little pods um and just getting to know each other on a personal level as well as um on a playing level as well so we're i think we're in a really good place from a team dynamics point of view but the challenge is obviously that we've not had the opportunity to play australia canada america since the last world cup um because of covid so we know we're in a good place as a team but we also know that the other teams will have stepped on massively and we know that they're really really strong countries in competition so yeah it's slightly unknown but I think we just need to focus on ourselves and have confidence in what we've done to prepare over the past five years and go into the world champs feeling really confident in where we're at. I suppose you could say that about the other teams as well like we everyone's kind of gone through the same um struggles and issues and and uh, travel restrictions and stuff like that um so it could be a very 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 unknown um factor coming into the tournament i guess yeah um okay cool 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 so what's the objective this time around other than the obvious <laughs> i think 
ultimately, like I just said, we we're, we're such a close and good team. We have such a good team dynamic, which I think is really important because when you're when you have each other's backs and you know that you inherently have each other's backs on and off the pitch, I think when the tough times do come, we'll be able to stick together and get through it. Um, so I'm really confident in the, the team bond that we have. So I think knowing that, we obviously want to reach the potential that we know we have. We want a bronze at the last World Champs. Um, I mean, ultimately, we would love to make the final. I think, we have, as I said, we have a very, very good team. The other countries are relatively unknown, but if we play to our potential, we definitely have a chance of making the final. And then on any given day, anything can happen. So who knows who will end up in the final if we make it there as well. Anything can happen. It's 60 minutes. And if we have the right game plan and we play a good game, then, you know, anything can happen. So that's kind of the aim. We, I think we're just taking it game by game, a day at a time. Um, and especially now we're going into the World Championships, that ha- that's how it has to be. We have to trust the process and just focus on the next game in front of us, bin it whether we win or lose and move on to the next one. Um, but ultimately, we've been working to be the best team that we can be and we want to be the best team in the world. So we just have to try and trust the process and trust that everything we've done for the past five years will set us up to have the most success possible. That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. So... Last time the World Cup was held in Surrey on home soil, um, you've obviously experienced playing at home now um, and away um, internationally. So how much does the experience change having it in your own country and how much does the the preparation change um, having it in your own country? What's the difference between the two for you? So in 2017, we... We were really lucky that it was actually at Surrey Sports Park, which is where we were based as a squad. We knew the facility and the venue inside out. Obviously, being at home as well in Surrey area, a lot of our team are based down south around Surrey. So we had so many supporters every single day, which was amazing just seeing the stands like filled with England flags. And I think that part of the home advantage was really, really special, having all your friends and family there and school kids and even people that had kind of seen it advertised in in the local press came down they'd never seen lacrosse before I remember speaking to a couple of girls so that was really big and just knowing kind of the routine not leaving anything to chance I suppose so you can actually just focus on what matters in the moment so that's a really big part of home advantage however in Towson obviously as I mentioned we're getting there we'll get there Saturday which gives us then a few days to get our bearings settle in know what's what um and yeah I think I think it will be different but I think also it will be exciting because in the US there's a lot more people that recognize the sport that the stadium's huge um so I think there'll be a lot of people there which will be an amazing amazing experience and play in front of that crowd and also our family and friends are coming out to watch us anyway we've got the festival tournament alongside the main fest uh, alongside the main tournament so i know there's lots of schools going on tour as well so we'll hopefully have a, a large england base of support while we're over there um so i'm hoping it will feel as homely as possible but also we just have to remember that the only team that had the home advantage of the us everybody else is in the same boat as us yeah so, absolutely and i think the i think i'm right in saying that the us have never won a world champs on home soil so <laughs> I don't think so. And I'm really sorry if, the, if I've got that wrong, but I'm pretty sure I've seen that somewhere. So 
You know, let's go it, with it. I like that fact. Let's it's all to it. play for. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so if you had to pick one, do you could prefer be fake the... news from tours, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's 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 a fact now. All right, cool. We're going to break this up a little bit. Um, I haven't done this for a while, um, but we are going to do a quick fire round oh, for God. you, okay. um, where you are going to name your um, teammates in okay. a question that I'm going to give you. Um, don't overthink it. Just go with who comes to mind first. I've got, I think I've got about eleven, so this shouldn't take too long. Um, who in the squad is most accident prone? Liv Wimpenny. Who is the best person to room with? Ooh. I'd say Megan Whittle or Emma Oakley. Biggest joker in the squad? Probably Faz. Who is up earliest? Ooh. Emily Gray. She's, she's always up early getting coffee. <laughs> All right. Who's the most likely to do something silly? I'd probably say that I'm I'm a big contender for that, but also probably oh I don't know who's silly oh yeah it prob- probably would be me or Liv Thomas, but without meaning to be silly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, this one's a bit different, but who's the best barista on the team? Who's always making the best coffees? Well, I don't know if she makes them herself, but Homp should just be sponsored by Dunkin at this point honestly the amount she keeps them in business so she can have the coffee one that's fine okay who's in charge of the music oh Tilly Foster she's got a posy posy fuzzy world cup bangers playlist you heard it here first check it out that on Spotify. is awesome all right we'll uh, we'll get a link up for that uh, who's the most positive in the squad probably posy fuzzy I thought that would be coming <laughs> which player needs every drill explained twice Live with Penny. Sorry, Liv. <laughs> that was so quick, Tors. <laughs> you didn't even have to think about that. Um, okay, who's the fittest player on the team? Oh, God. Probably EO, Emma Oakley, or Emily Gray, or Liv Thomas. They just run for days. Makes me okay. sick. <laughs> biggest party animal? Ooh. Biggest party animal? See, that's really hard because none of us have been out for about four years. <laughs> No, no, I'll, I'll answer that one after the last night. Okay. Yeah, we'll find out. Uh, two more. Who takes the lacrosse the, uh, a little too serious? EO, anything that's a competition, EO takes seriously. So, okay. last, yeah. last one. The game's tied. There's 20 seconds left. Who are you giving the ball to? Laura Merrifield or Megan Whittle. And I will stand out the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Well done. You've done very well there. <laughs> that was fun. Um, that's the last of them. We're going to go straight into the listeners' questions, though, while we're on it. And then we'll go okay. back to the um, back to the other ones. Um, I've got loads of listeners' questions. You've answered a fair few of them. So let's go with... Okay. This one. What's your fondest lacrosse memory? Um, I think my, fir- my first ever England Cup was really special, actually. That was... Home in 2012, I want to say. It was in Surrey. And I remember um, my dad came to watch, actually. And my dad's not around anymore. So that's a really fond memory for me, um, was remembering him coming and seeing my, me win my first ever England cap. That was really special. Oh, that's lovely. That's nice. Um, okay, next one. Do you think elite club lacrosse... Oh, this is quite serious. Do you think... Elite club lacrosse 
or talent performance programs are better at developing players? Like one or the other. Question. Yeah. So yeah, elite club, like high performing clubs, um, or the talent performance programs that are in place. And I think I know why this has been asked because you don't because talent the talent performance is lower is a lower age group, isn't it? Yeah. And elite clubs. Yeah. Don't tend to, but they have an older age bracket. I think that's really difficult. I think they both have um, real advantages. And I actually think probably geographically would depend on what I say. So mm-hmm. um, in the South, I think the talent pathway, you you obviously get kind of the best players from all the schools and clubs and you kind of have the best coaches, I suppose. Normally it's a lot of current England players or people that have already coached at an international level are on those talent pathways and they can kind of disseminate the information down from the senior squad in terms of what we're working on and, you know, the things that will help those players when they progress through to the under-19 national and senior squads. However, up north, where the standard is generally a little bit worse just because we we don't really have as many people playing as we do down south. And that's something that I experienced when I was growing up as well playing. So I think the elite clubs in that sense probably give a better environment for players to develop faster because what you what you've just mentioned around the age... I was playing for the ladies team at Oxton at 12 and that's not me saying I was amazing at lacrosse. It's because they needed players and I was willing to go and put myself out there and yeah, my parents didn't really care. They were like, you go and do it if you enjoy it. You you go and play with the women. That's totally fine. And I think being thrown out of your comfort zone sometimes yeah. makes you develop at a much quicker rate. Yeah. So I, I do think it depends geographically. I think there's benefits to both, but I think... Anywhere you've got a really good coach, someone that's passionate about developing you and the team that they're involved with, I don't think you can really go wrong with that, to be honest. The other benefit um, that I've just thought of, obviously clubs week in, week out. It's yeah. more regular, isn't it? It's more Very consistent. True. And if you, like you said, if you have a good coach who's seeing you that much more, um, you've really got to ask a lot of a talent pathway to be able to replicate that. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I like that question. Um, okay, I've got another... It's quite a serious one. Um, Considering women's lacrosse is played in the school system here, why do you think there is such a gap between England and the US? Hmm. That is an interesting question. That is an interesting question. I think size-wise, they're not comparable. There's obviously a lot more going on in the US. So although it's in our school system, it's not at the same... No, and I think I I can only speak for what I know from my friends that are in the US and they've grown up playing in the US. But my understanding generally is that lacrosse players in the US pick up lacrosse the same way that our young kids will pick up netball or football or rugby. You know, when when you see the tiny tots running around playing sports, they have that for lacrosse and they when you're younger in the US as well, I know they have a club system as well as playing all the way through school and through college. And then it's, so I think with that, lacrosse is more of a priority sport is my understanding in the US. Because I think even in the UK, you can have lacrosse specific schools, but you still do about probably 10 different sports in PE and recreationally. So it doesn't quite have the same focus. And I know that they have a big focus even in, I'm trying to, 
translate the ages now um, and the high school ages. But even with the younger ones in high school, they have like varsity teams that they train for all year and then they go and play varsity against other teams. and It's a really big deal. Whereas in the UK, obviously, we have national schools and things like that. But it's just it just doesn't quite have the same focus, I don't think, as it being kind of the sole or one of two sports that you really play and train every day. And also the club system as well over there. I think when you're younger, they train more frequently. They have bigger competitions and there's just more people playing generally, which I guess just through kind of the numbers, you'll probably get more people that are better and they're pushing the people that are better. Whereas here we have less people playing generally. So that the kind of density of talent is probably more infrequent. Yeah, I'm with you. I remember having, you just jogged my memory of a conversation I was having with he. I think he was an old LDO, um, Joe Gold. He'll, he'll, a lot of the the older generation will know who he is. Um, we were talking to his son Nicholas when we were over um, in Baltimore last, um, and he was saying he was at that age where he kind of had to choose his sports. Um, and in my head, I was like, so he liked swimming and he liked lacrosse, but he was talking in a in a fashion that if he wasn't good enough to make the lacrosse team, that was it. Like there was no. I guess he could have. He could have carried on playing club or he could have carried on um, playing socially, if you will. Um, but in his head, and I think in everyone else's head, that if you don't make, I think you, you said varsity squads. I don't really know the names of the, the, the ages um, out there. But if he didn't make that squad, that was it for him. Yeah. And he drops off the lacrosse radar, regardless of how much he likes playing lacrosse, if you know what I mean. So I think they've got that real, like, you either make the team or you don't. There's no participation as such. I mean, yeah, there's rec leagues, but you know yeah. they've got a completely different mentality to it yeah and I think the other thing is as well even when you get through high school and you go to university or college in the states the real big thing that I found was even at Loughborough which is you know typically coined the sporty university and okay yeah. lacrosse wasn't one of the big focus elite sports at Loughborough my lacrosse schedule was very much dependent on my academic schedule whereas so if I had to miss lectures or seminars I used to get in trouble even if I was going to play a match in Bucks. Um, whereas in the US, they, they're athletes through and through, they're student athletes, and yeah. they sometimes pick their courses dependent on the training schedule, or they move modules around and take different... Um, I can't remember what they call them. I'll call them modules. I can't remember the American word. I know, they, yeah. They pick different ones based on when they can and can't go to training. And and that's it. That's fine. The university are fine with that. So I think it's just that kind of mindset here. It's still very academic focused, whereas there it's you're a student athlete. You need to go and win as yeah. national championships. And that's just how it is. So I think until we kind of shift into that mindset um, and we have more of that collegiate mindset, the yeah, the US, they are better than, well, we'll see in two weeks' time who's Absolutely. better. Absolutely. But you know what I mean? Like, the gap is definitely closing as our sports science and our lacrosse programs are developing. I just think the US are maybe 10, 15 years ahead of us. And the quicker we can close that gap with all the supporting functions, the, you know, hopefully that gap will start to close as well in terms of performance. Yeah, it's two different two different ways of, of skinning a cat effectively just because you're like let's take that that nicholas example just because you you didn't quite make the team when you were 13 14 doesn't mean that at the age of 18 you're not going to all of a sudden you know develop understand it better it's you kind of i think they they write people off a bit 
earlier than we do. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said for letting people, not letting them, you know what I mean? Uh, keeping people in a sport, if they enjoy it uh, in a recreational sense, there's nothing that, that says they're not going to come back to it at a later stage and excel at it. Yeah, and 100%. And I know she won't mind me saying this, but when you look at, at one of our defenders, Emma Oakley, she didn't make the under-19 England team. She was kind of a little bit under the radar. She was always a good player, but she got a chance in our... Um, she was already in the squad and kind of as an established member, but she was quite a young member when we went on tour to Australia in 2016. And one mm-hmm. of our other defenders, kind of more experienced starting defenders, got injured and couldn't play in the Test Series. So EO got the call up and she absolutely smashed it out of the park. And she, you know, hadn't been playing for England. She wasn't kind of a big name the whole way through. And like, hands down, she is one of the best defenders in the world. I, I totally mean that. And if you watch yep. her through through the summer, through the World Champs, you'll see what I mean. And I think that's just a testament to the fact that, yeah, like she just carried on playing because she enjoyed it and she was good at it. But, you know, people develop at different rates and she's honestly absolutely. a world-class player now. So... Yeah, if there's anyone li- listening that thinks that, you know, they're not quite there, then I just just keep going for it because you'll get your time. Absolutely. Okay, last listener's question. Um, I like this one. It's it's not as serious. Um, <laughs> what is it about international duties that you like the most? Um, I honestly, I'm just such a people person. And I said earlier, some of my best friends in the whole world are, are on the England team. Um I think that's probably something to do with the fact that we literally spend every waking moment of free time together. Um, But yeah, I have some really good friends on the team. And I think when you, it's similar to what I said earlier, you you train for something so hard for so long. You put in all the individual hours in the gym or, you know, out running or skills. And then you put all in all the hours as a squad together. And that takes up 90, 95% of the time. Then you go to these big championships, whether that's the Europeans or the world championships, and you get to reap the rewards of all that training that you've put in. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it is a bit cheesy, but I think there's something really special about going through that whole experience. And you can't really describe it to anyone that's not been there or felt it, what that kind of bubble is like and what that journey is like. But you win together, you lose together. And I think just some of the memories that I've made already through lacrosse and with the people that I've experienced it with, I'm really grateful for. And I don't think I'll ever forget them. So yeah like obviously winning medals are great winning championships are great but ultimately I think the reason that we do it is for the for the people ultimately and if we keep pushing each other to be better people and players the team's only going to get better so I would honestly say the people is probably my favorite part about it great answer um okay back to the regular questions here so um I'm going to put my neck out there and say that the standings of our sport can sometimes be uh, predictable. Um, with that in mind, what do you think makes the difference between squads these days? Um, I think we've spoken a little bit about the US college system and the setup that they've got there. Obviously, they're ranked number one at the moment. I think the difference... It's a really hard question, actually. So you've got, like, US-Canada. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that's you know fairly expected then there's england australia like there, there's quite you could you could quite easily split um the top six up into you know this is where the standing is um mm. what do you think would make the biggest difference so you could take england australia you could take us canada um what do you think is making the difference these days 
I guess with I guess it really depends on um like so when you look historically like you've said like US Canada up there then England Australia for example I think like with anything after each cycle or each major championship that period of reflection around how the team how the team's performed have they reached their potential how did the players do how did the management do um and you know just just working all that out I think is really important so I know that after the 2013 World Cup we brought in new management we had a new influx of players um and like Phil came in as head coach and kind of redeveloped the whole culture and strategy and and team experience within England and he built his team around him his support staff and we we got in some really really great people we had James Wilde for strength and conditioning we've had like great physios come in great assistant coaches and managers and I think that makes such a difference but that was a big big change from 2013 to 2017 um but Phil had a very clear vision and he's taken us on that journey since 2014 I think he came in and we succeeded in 2017 we've continued building on that journey and that on that momentum and the team culture that Phil has built over that for the past five years as well. But I think we've learned from, we've learned from 2017 and the build up to that. Obviously, as I said, COVID was a bit of an unknown. We've not really played many international games. We've had the European championships, but we've not played the top, the top three with us in, in the world. So we, we've had that period of reflection post 2017 for five years. We, we know, what we're focusing on and where we need to go to be a better team to go and beat the the teams ranked above us in the world and I think that's probably really important and I'm sure the US Canada Australia have all done that as well I'm sure the Aussies have probably more than anyone seeing as that they didn't medal at the last World Cup I'm sure they really wanted to pick it apart and understood what understand what went wrong and I'm as I said earlier I'm sure they're going to come out absolutely firing for that um but that probably will make the biggest difference is if if you're stuck in your ways and you continue the same process over and over again, the same style of play, keeping the same players, then there's only so much you can do. Whereas obviously changing things is a risk, but if you get it right, which I truly believe Phil did last time round, and looking at where we are now, I think we're in a really, really good spot. I, I think that can make all the difference. Okay. Well, it sounds like it's an awful question to answer because it sounds like absolutely everything is... Um, <laughs> taken into consideration and everything is very important and you're all trying to come up with the best game plan possible and yeah. best game plan wins do you know what the day. you need to get Phil on here if you haven't spoken to yeah, Phil already he's been on he was on a while ago oh was he sorry um, Phil he was, talk- he was talking sixes <laughs> okay um, when it like originally came out um, he was good to talk to I like talking to Phil he's a nice yeah. guy um, okay cool so the we've already said the international calendar this year is insane um mm-hmm. We've spoke about how tricky it can be managing work life, um, relationships, etc. When you're not so much for your free time, but when you're at, like, when you're in the thick of it at a World Championships, um, European Championships, whatever it is, what do you do like day to day to avoid burnout? Like, you can't, you can't be at a hundred percent the whole time. Obviously, you've got to be there for game days, and I should imagine there's a lot of time in between. What do you what do you guys do, um, or what do you do individually to avoid burnout at the championships? Yeah, that's a good question. I think everyone thinks about obviously you going and playing all the games and stuff, and they forget that there's twenty three other hours in the day. Yeah. Um, so this time it's quite it's quite different actually because most of our games are at eight pm, so we've literally got the whole day to sit and wait for the game. So in the team, there's quite a big game culture. So. <laughs> 
there's a few of us in a WhatsApp group that are already deciding who's bringing which games to play. Um, <laughs> so I mentioned Emma Oakley was very competitive, as am I. So we, we can normally be found playing games together, whether that's Dobble or Cards or some other stupid card game. Um, Double's so yeah, awesome. I love Dobble. Oh, yeah. Have you got the Harry Potter Dobble, though? Because that no. was a newfound thing, and that's really good. That's really good changing room. <laughs> Harry Potter Dobble, love it. So yeah, there's a lot of game playing, but also... I mean, we're probably going to end up streaming Love Island just to sit and like switch the brain off for for an hour or so. I'll definitely day. do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that was a 2017 one and a Euros one, so I'm sure that will come back I'm watching Love back. Island. But then, yeah, we do. So people, we generally have a bit of free time, so people will chill, go get food, go get coffee, just go for a walk, spend time on their own. I think because it's such a pressurized environment, it's important that you have that time on your own to kind of reflect as well yeah definitely and then we have our team meetings so we'll probably have a I, I don't know I don't know what's in Phil's mind at this point but normally we would have a debrief post the game that we've just played and then we'd have a bit of time and then we'd have our pre-game team meeting to focus on the next game so yeah that that's probably how it will be there'll be some kind of mobility and pool recovery type stuff as well um yeah that's probably it to be honest so Many you don't games. have to, it's not, I mean, we, we've we already said media coverage is fairly poor of lacrosse across the board, to be honest. Um, and what I think we all get in our heads is this idea that there's 30 of you going out there and you do everything together and you have to <laughs> be involved in this, this and this and this and this. But you've just said like, you'll go, you, it's okay to go and take yourself off for a walk. Like people kind of understand that you are a team and yeah, you've got to perform together. But at the same time, it's it's too much to be doing, you know, every activity with every person yeah definitely and i think that there's certain things in the schedule that are compulsory um so for example recovery or mobility and team meetings are all compulsory we'll we'll we have our own kitchens in the flats at towson but when we go for team meal or when it's meal time we'll probably all go as a team together for that but i think outside of that when we have kind of free time or downtime, it's very much up to people how they want to spend it. Some people, some people will be playing games. <laughs> Me, I'll be there. Um, some people will just be sat reading a book and some people will just be sat in silence just with other people, just, I don't know, listening to podcasts or scrolling through their phone. And that's totally fine. Um, we have a bit of a joke that in our changing room, um, we've kind of got a sliding scale. And on one side, it's all the quiet people that want to sit on their own with their headphones in and not talk to anyone before a game. And the other side is like total dance party, stupid games, <laughs> screaming the lyrics to songs. And then there's somewhere in the middle. So when you kind of take that and apply it to total World Cup life, you can kind of imagine the same kind of thing. There's a spectrum of what people, of who sits where and what people will be doing with their downtime. Okay. This is, um, it, it sounds bad, but it's not. I'm just curious. Do you get, and I don't mean cliques, but I can't really think groups, I guess. Is, do you get little groups within the squads like people gravitate to each other or do you kind of try and keep it all if you're doing something as a team um it's all of you or is, are there little groups of, of of i guess friendships um that pop yeah. up yeah and i think that's only natural i think obviously you yeah. have people that you that yeah you gravitate to more um more willingly i suppose and but i, I honestly i I don't think there's a single person on the squad that I wouldn't feel comfortable going and hanging out with. And I think that's the same for everybody. We are a really, really close team, but obviously just through like people you've been to uni with or been to school with or you work with, 
you're always going to be closer to some people rather yeah. than others. But I think, I yeah, that I wouldn't call them cliques though. I think everybody, literally everybody, is welcome to everything. Yeah, but, I didn't mean cliques, but I can't think of another. Yeah. The reason I ask is in like professional rugby, it's quite well documented that I, I get it's professional rugby and they're paid to do it. But they talk about it all the time. Like it's, there is a group of four or five and they do their thing. And, you know, there's a group of four or five over here and they do their thing. Like it's, it is completely the norm. Like you're either in that group or you're not. So I'm just curious what it's like on a, well, yeah, a, a lacrosse. Um, yeah, I don't think it's like that. The biggest clique you'll get, and this is, this is up for debate, is egg club or porridge club. And you're very firmly <laughs> in one or the other. <laughs> okay. Talking like game day breakfasts here. <laughs> It, egg or porridge a, there is nothing mm-hmm. else you're allowed One no there is some people tried to make yogurt club happen on tour in florida they that didn't happen it's Swashed. it's egg club or porridge club so like you can put a poll out and and see who's in which camp <laughs> can i have weetabix no 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 it's egg <laughs> no not <laughs> or allowed. it's porridge <laughs> join one or not okay cool 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 um so we Again, we, I spoke about it earlier. I think media coverage for the sport is pretty poor. Um, the, my biggest gripe of the sport is that um, I love the sport and I struggle to find out information about international players or the international teams. And it's not just England. I think it is across the board. Um, so, which up and I'm going to put you on the spot here. Which up and coming players should we be looking out for in the next few years within the England setup? In the England setup. So, we've got some pretty young players on our team for the first time this year so um charlie wilson who's a defender she's really really good solid 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 defender also studying to be a doctor so you know one of those really high achieving people (laughs) so yeah definitely keep an eye out for her we've got emily Knowles as well she's another straight defender and then we've got liv thomas in the midfield and georgie southern in the attack they are all very young players very like relatively new to the squad but have through the training that we've done and the international games that we have had have really proved themselves and they're an amazing addition to the team for this for this time round. So they're definitely going to be the future of future of England. Um, Tors, last question for you. If you could give one bit of advice to the next generation of potential England players, what would it be? I would say you have to keep no matter where you want to go with it you could just want to play recreationally you might want to play for England or Wales or Scotland whichever country you want to play for don't be put off by the challenges I think you've got to remember when the going gets tough you have to remember why you started playing and hopefully you're playing it now because you love the game and you enjoy it and that's what makes you want to become better and succeed but don't ever be put off by the challenges I think you learn a lot through growing through challenges and setbacks. So if you're injured, if you don't get selected for something, you've got to find the positives in it. You've got to find a way through and you've got to find a way to keep pushing on if, if that's what you want to do. But you've got to be resilient. Um, but yeah, just keep going. When when you feel that things are a bit tough, just keep remembering why you first picked up a stick in the first place and remember that feeling and channel that feeling to help drive you forwards. <laughs> That is it for episode 38. Special thanks to Tours for giving up her time before the championships and best of luck to all the players heading out to Towson.